been going through the holy history. The theme for this series is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. All of these events that took place with Israel in the Old Testament are not just history, they're his story. It's God's interaction and intervention in human history. God's plan to bring the whole earth to himself, to bring all the people of the earth to be a part of his kingdom. Anybody ever been to the laundromat? It's fun, isn't it? There's always somebody selling tamales, though. And they're always good tamales. Seriously. I could get nice and fat on some of those tamales. They're good. Um, the washing machines at the laundromat are different than the washing machine that I had when I was growing up. Now, my mom had me washing clothes from the time I was, like, nine and uh, it's, I just knew how to do it. And, uh, but, you know, we had the washing machine that, the, you know, you lift up the top and you put the stuff in there and then you put it back down and, and then it, you know, agitates and does all the different stuff. What I used to like about the, the washing machines at the laundromat is they had a window and you could watch what was going on, right? You watch the soap go around, you watch your clothes go around. And what was really fun is to watch the spin cycle, Right? Because it's, now I'm coming from the perspective of a kid. Maybe this doesn't entertain you at all. I don't know. Um, but that spin cycle, man, that thing went around and around and around so fast. And it's trying to squeeze, of course, all of the, uh, the water out of the clothes before you put them in the dryer. Um, now, the dryer was fascinating to me as a kid as well. Because then, you, you know, you could see the clothes and you could see them going around. But the title of the message today is Overcoming the Sin Cycle. And we're going to go to Judges today, and what we're going to discover in the book of Judges is that there was a cycle of sin among the people of God, and I hope that you will pay attention to the Holy Spirit as he seeks to apply this to you, okay? I remember back in the 70s, there was a period of time when uh, CB radios were really popular. It was primarily because of one song that came out. And so everybody had a CB radio and we were all, you know, down on the jargon, the CB jargon, okay? You know, what's your 20 means, you know, where are you at, okay? Um, all of these sorts of things. Um, but uh, one, of the, one of the phrases that I think applies to us here in this room today is, uh, you know, they'd get on the CB radio and they, they'd key it and they'd say, uh, Breaker 1-9, uh, this is, you know, Bob Hope or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm going down, uh, you know, this road. Blah, blah, blah. You got your ears on? Let go of the mic. Well, what that means is, are they on the radio? Right? Do they have the radio turned up so that they understand and they can, they can hear you? Here's my question, good buddy. Have you got your ears on? Jesus said it this way. He said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm telling you what, we've been talking about this on Wednesday night coming from 2 Corinthians, but I think there's just a whole lot of static in our heads. And so, you, you know, people, I'm assuming if people are, are tuning in online, they're being uh, intentional, but 
you know, we, we broadcast this on Facebook. And of course, Facebook is a constant source of information and distraction. And so I discovered a long time ago that it's really not the best place uh, to put a church service if you want people to pay attention the whole time because there's just so many distractions, which, by the way, is also a good reason. I, our mobile devices are amazing, but it's a good reason to read the Bible in just a paper Bible. And just turn your phone, you know, on silent or, heaven forbid, turn it off. I know, that would freak you out, wouldn't it? You go through withdrawals. What am I going to do? What did we do back in my day? We had a phone, and that's all it did. It called people. No caller ID, no voicemail, no texts. And if you answered the phone and you talked to somebody, you talked to them. And if you didn't want to talk to them, you just let it ring. And it didn't go to voicemail. It just rang and rang until they hung up. And if you got sick of hearing it ring, then you just unplug it or take it off the hook, right? Sometimes you just need to unplug from all this other stuff and focus in on the Word of God. I'm very grateful that you've shown up uh, to church. And, you know, that's getting to be old-fashioned, isn't it, to actually show up in person at church? Wow. But it's so important, right? But whether you're, you're, you're listening to the podcast later or watching or watching online, I want you to have your ears on. I want you to pay attention. And I want you to really, I want you to let the Holy Spirit apply these things to you. Now, I'm going to make some applications, but I want the Holy Spirit to be the one that convinces you of the changes that you might need to make. Okay, so we're, uh, we're going through this long series this year, uh, starting, when did I start in like February, I think, or, or early March. We started in the series um, on the Holy History, and the theme verse for this series is found in 1 Corinthians, and uh, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and it says, now these things happened to them, who's them? Who's them? Israel. These things happened to them as examples for us. And were written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So as I've been trying to convince you all this time, uh, the Old Testament is not just a bunch of old dry stories or a bunch of laws and rules and, uh, you know, things that we can just not pay attention to. It is absolutely packed with stories that are true, what C.S. Lewis called true myth. These things really happened to these people. It is God intervening in human history through this one group of people that he chose as his people, as his example. And it's because of that group of people that Messiah comes into the world, that's Jesus. And Jesus opens up that corridor of relationship between human beings and himself, but only through Jesus we come to Christ. So there's a whole lot for us to learn here. And uh, previously in the, uh, in the progress of holy history, we had gotten all the way to the point where Joshua had led the people to take the land of promise, land that had been promised to uh, their ancestor Abraham some 500 years before. And they took the land and they settled in. But then something happened. When the people came out of Egypt, they were slaves. That was their mentality. They were dependent. They cried to God a lot, and God helped them a lot, and God showed them a lot of miracles, but they were consistently, consistently disobedient. Their hearts were adulterous. They were supposed to belong to one God, but they were constantly distracted. They'd been raised in Egypt under all of these false gods, 
And then they went across the desert, and uh, the older generation that was uh, disobedient to God ended up dying in the wilderness. They didn't even get the land of promise. They could have. They had an opportunity. They could have gone in and taken it, and they wouldn't do it because they were afraid of the people in the land, which is translated to mean they didn't trust God. If God leads you to do something, I don't care how scary it is, you can do it. Amen? If God leads you to do it, don't be a fool, okay? Don't do crazy stuff just to prove you can do it. Um, don't uh, presume upon God and tell him what to do. But if you're paying attention to the Bible, God is trying to speak to you through that word, and he's trying to lead you, whether you're young or whether you're old or whether you're in the middle. You have a purpose, and God's trying to lead you through his word, right? So long reintroduction to where we're at. I'm going to look at Judges chapter 2. And I'm going to read this, uh, this passage beginning at verse 6. And then we're going to look at the sin cycle that Israel found herself in and how we can overcome the sin cycle. This is Judges chapter 2, verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord, Yahweh, throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north, uh, north of Mount Gash. Verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Do you have your ears on? Verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Uh, the Baals were the, the local gods. So the word Baal just means Lord, right? So there was a God called Baal, right? He, he was a warrior God is what he was. But the word just means Lord, so it just meant they were serving other lords uh, from all these different peoples that lived in this land called Canaan. They did evil and served the, the Baals, verse, tw verse 12. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Now, this was Baal's female consort, and uh, the, uh, this is a fertility goddess. They believed that by serving this goddess, they were going to be prosperous, essentially, okay? But they served that god by having sexual intercourse with cult prostitutes beneath the statue of that god, which is a female goddess, but in the form of a male organ, right? It's, it gets bad, friends. It gets rough. Now, I'm going to be nice to you and not get into some serious details, but I just want you to understand that when God gets angry, it's not for no reason, right? We're a land that is supposed to be all about tolerance, right? Allowing people to worship uh, the God that they choose. Well, because we want them to be able to freely choose Yahweh, but that doesn't mean that it's the right choice. Parents, I bet there are times when you let your kids make choices, even though you know that there's a good chance they're not going to make the right choice because you want them to make the mistake and learn from it. We're going to see that the Lord is doing exactly that with Israel, and he's probably doing exactly that in your life as well, okay? Um, 
Verse 13 uh, 14, excuse me. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel, whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. So when they tried to defend themselves, they couldn't. You know, I have had dreams of fighting people before. Anybody have a dream? You've got to fight somebody? It's mainly guys, right? And Jubilee. Um, but that's because she's been in my karate class forever, so, you know, she's ready to fight. And there have been times when I swing my fist as hard as I can, and it just touches them. Like, it doesn't hurt them at all. Buddy, I can break bricks. I know it would hurt them. But in my dream, uh, I'm anemic. I'm weak. I can't even defend myself. That's what happened to Israel, right? They might have been trained as warriors, some of them, but they couldn't defend themselves because the Lord wasn't with them. Listen, if the Lord is for you, nobody can stand against you, amen? But if the Lord is against you, you can never stand. Verse 16, and this is what this book is all about. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's command. That I call that the Joshua generation. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the way their ways, even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Right? So I want to, we could spend probably three months or six months in the book of Judges. But that's not my purpose for this study that we're in. I want us to look at the overall holy history. So I want to relate the situation in Israel under four different judges. And uh, I picked these because they're mentioned in Hebrews 11.32. It mentions Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. And they should have mentioned Deborah because Deborah was really the one that motivated Barak. But we're going to talk about Deborah because she was the judge actually at the time. Let's look, look at them in order, even though this isn't the historical order. Um, first, let's look at Gideon. This is found in Judges chapter 6. The Israelites were oppressed by a, a very, very large band of nomadic raiders, and they're called Midianites. Well, these Midianites are the Arab peoples. And they literally swept in on the backs of their camels every time Israel was um, planting or harvesting, and they just ruined their crops. They stole everything from them. They stole their sheep. They stole their goats. They stole their all of their animals. They they would ruin their crops. They would take their uh, their wheat that they were harvesting, and this was an oppression that went on for twenty years. They destroyed the land and impoverished Israel, it says in uh, Judges 6, 2 through 6. The angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? 
we understand the angel of the Lord to be a pre-appearance of Christ, right? This is not an angel. The word angel, angelos, just means messenger. This is the messenger of the Lord. Jesus is called the Logos in John chapter 1. He is God's message, right? He is the message. So the angel of the Lord showed up. This is, we call this a theophany. This is likely a pre-appearance of Christ. And he called Gideon to lead the fight against the Midianites. Well, Gideon was afraid and he needed signs to verify God's presence and calling. So he had this sign and you'll hear Christians refer to this sometimes today. Um, I, I laid out a fleece before the Lord. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Okay, again, we're moving away from the time when people were saturated in scripture and the biblical narrative. But what Gideon said was, he said, okay, Lord, if this is really you and you're saying this, then I'm gonna put a fleece out and in the morning, I want you to make all of the dew appear on the ground like you normally do, but none of it on the fleece. And sure enough, that's what happened. Well, Lord, one more time, I'm gonna lay the fleece out again, but this time I want all of the dew to just be on the fleece and none on the ground. Isn't God just really patient with us? And the Lord said, sure. So he picks up that fleece and it's just so heavy with water that he squeezes out cups of water from this thing, right? Um, he, he needed these signs, okay? So he raises this army of like 30,000 men and uh, they're, they're, they're going up against these Midianites and it says in the scripture that they were spread out like the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. There were so many of them out there. And the Lord said, if you're still afraid, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out, sneak out there with your servant, Pua, and I want you to listen to what they say. And so he listens to a dream that God had apparently given one of these Midianites. And in the dream, a huge barley loaf came rolling into the camp of the Midianites and just destroyed them. And the friend who was relating, who was listening to this dream said, this can be nothing other than Gideon because Gideon had made a little reputation for himself by tearing down his father's Baal altar. And that's what God had commanded him to do. And so they started calling him Jerob Baal. That was kind of his nickname, his, maybe you could call it his nom de guerre, right? His war name, uh, because he was going to come up against the gods of the land. And so he had, you know, quite a reputation. Plus, he's the one that raised the army, right? Um, the Lord commanded him to do it, but he was the one that did it. So uh, the friend that hears this dream about the barley loaf coming into the Midianite camp says, this can be nothing other than Gideon. And Gideon's like, psych, I can get him. God's already given this to me. And God's like, yeah, I told you that like 10 times. And so that's exactly what happened. But it's very, very interesting because God wanted to make sure that everybody knew that it was the Lord and not Gideon or Gideon's army that did this. This is the famous story of Gideon defeating this horde of Midianites with only 300 warriors. Do you remember this? Right? So God gave them this strategy. You're going to have, uh, I want you, God, God, first of all, says, I want you to dismiss everybody in the army that's afraid. 22,000 people went home. These people are not warriors, okay? They're comfortable consumers, and they're being harassed, and they want God to help them, and he does. And so now Gideon's got like, you know, this smaller number, but still in the thousands. And then God weeds through them again. He says, I want them all to go down and drink water. And the ones that lap water like a dog, 
I know this sounds weird, right? Are the ones that I want you to keep and all the rest of them can go home. Well, there were only 300 that lapped water like a dog. Now, it's been said, well, maybe they were like, you know, more uh, observant or more courageous or whatever. I think it's just God's way of sorting through them and saying, I'm going to get the glory. And there's not many people that lap water like a dog. So 300 of them were left. They had, each one of them had a torch in his hand. They had a trumpet and they had a glass uh, or ceramic jar. They surrounded the camp of the Midianites and at, Gideon, uh, at Gideon's uh, command, they would blow the trumpet, they would break the jar, and they had these torches all the way around. What it, what it did is it drove the Midianites uh, to, into a frenzy, and they started attacking each other. God did this a lot in the Old Testament. Suffice it to say that the Lord beat them off, right? But guess what? Lots of drama happens with Gideon, but he dies, the people go right back to idolatry again. So there's the story of Barak. This actually happened in history, in his, uh, holy history, before the story of Gideon. And this is under Deborah. Deborah was ju- the judge, the one that was recognized. She's called a prophetess, though. Um, they were oppressed for 20 years by Jabin, king of Canaan. And Sisera was the commander, and he had 900 chariots. Well, the previous enemy was from the outside. This was an enemy from within. If you remember several weeks ago, uh, we talked about the fact that the people didn't destroy all of the altars and they didn't take all the territory that they were supposed to take. In fact, we just read that in Judges chapter 2. Well, this was a group of people that remained behind. Now, Joshua had already taken uh, a king by the name of Jabin. So, uh, a lot of interpreters will, will say this is probably not a personal name. It's kind of like a title for their king, right? And Joshua had already burned the city of Hatzor, which it says now, uh, sometime later, is somehow in existence again. So presumably what's happened is these guys over this period of 20 years have said, we're going to take this territory back. God gave that to you, but we're going to take it back. And God allowed that to happen because they were sinning against him. So these very Canaanites that Joshua and the Joshua generation had fought off were now fighting back against them. This is the enemy from within. Um, A prophetess by the name of Deborah was judging Israel, and she gave the Lord's command to Barak to lead an army against the Canaanites. And this is found in Judges 4, 6 through 7. Barak wanted Deborah to go with him, and she consented. It is likely that there was fear evident among the Israelites here. Deborah is the only one that's not afraid. Even these Israelite men are afraid, and they want her to go with them because she has a, a line to God. She's representing the Lord. She's bringing the Lord into the situation, right? Um, Deborah commanded Barak in the name of the Lord, and Barak commanded an army of 10,000 people, 10,000 men. Barak defeated the Canaanite army. And the Lord handed their general Sisera over to a woman named Jael. This is a crazy story, right? So I won't get into all the details, but Jael and her people were friendly with um, Sisera's people. And so his army's defeated. This is the general. And so he runs away. He comes to the tent of this woman, Jael, and she says, come inside, Lord, come inside. I'll hide you. So he gets, in, gets inside the tent. And uh, he said, she covers him up, right? Covers him up with a, with a rug. And he says, I, I, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. So she doesn't give him water. You know what she gives him? 
warm milk. It really does work. Have you ever, have you ever been just couldn't sleep and just warmed up some milk? It can't be hot. It's got to be warm. But it does. It, it has an amino acid in it that will actually make you sleepy. She put him to sleep. Now you would think, oh, well, then what did she, you know, what did she do then? Did she go out and, you know, call the, uh, you know, the army that was uh, being led by Barak? No. He was under a rug. She took a tent peg and drove it through his head. And so then when Barack, when Barack showed up, she said, oh, are you looking for this guy? There he is. And he was dead with a tent peg stuck through his head. She got the glory for defeating Sisera, right? Um, so once again, Israel was free of that uh, oppression. But then we have the story of Samson. What do you know about Samson? Strong man, right? Where does he get his strength? No, he gets his strength from God. Oh, <laughs> hair doesn't give anybody strength. Why did his strength, uh, was his strength associated with his hair? Because he was a Nazarite. This is a vow that an Israelite man would make. And one of the stipulations of the vow was you didn't cut your hair. You also didn't touch anything dead. No dead body, no dead animal, no dead human. You didn't touch anything dead. You let your hair grow, and you couldn't have anything that was made from grapes. No wine, no raisins, nothing. That was, and that's how you set yourself apart under this vow. Samson was promised to his parents by, once again, the Lord's angel. And his mother was told he is to be a Nazarite from birth, and she was told, I don't even want you to have any grapes. So while she's pregnant with him, she doesn't eat anything from the vine. She gives birth to him, and he ends up being God's strong man. But he's strong because the Lord gave him this gift, and it is tied to that vow. Now, Samson delivered Israel from another enemy that they had from within, the Philistines. And the Philistines were never quite uh, completely destroyed until King David. But nonetheless, Samson harassed the Philistines over and over again. But this is, this is not some really moral guy. Samson has issues primarily with women. Oh, he does. He likes these hot honeys over in Philistine, Philistia. He keeps falling in love with these women over there, in love with these women over there. And then something bad happens and, uh, you know, it, it ends up pitting him against the Philistines and then he causes damage. And, uh, you know, in one instance, he gets really, really mad uh, because he told a riddle to these guys that were part of the, uh, of the wedding that he was uh, involved with with this woman. And uh, he told them the riddle, but his fiance uh, told them the meaning of the riddle and so they were able to win a bet against Samson. He got really mad. And as a result, he wreaks havoc on the Philistines. Um, this happened over and over again until eventually Samson meets this girl, this woman named Delilah. You've heard of this one, right? Samson and Delilah. And this is where you get the strength associated with the hair thing. Because she says, where does your great strength come from? Well, his great strength comes from the fact that he's dedicated to God but really, the only thing that he didn't uh, violate in this vow, because there's several instances where he touches uh, like dead animals. 
In fact, uh, the riddle that he told was the result of him scooping some honey out of the carcass of a dead lion. He shouldn't have even had his hand on the carcass of a dead lion. Okay? Um, There's another instance where he, he kills a bunch of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. That's a dead animal. So he's consistently stepping outside of bounds, but he didn't cut his hair. As far as we can tell, he didn't drink anything uh, coming from the vine either, unless he drank at his wedding. But um, nonetheless, Delilah, and he just plays with her. She, she, you know, she keeps asking him, what's, what's, the, what's the source of your great strength? What's the source? And what's happening is she has said that she loves him and she wants to marry him, but she's just a spy for the Philistines. So he keeps telling her all of these different things that are the source of his strength. Well, if somebody were to tie my hands with, you know, rope, made of hair, then uh, it would, uh, you know, I, I would be incapacitated. Well, that's nonsense. He just breaks the rope like it's nothing. But see, he was already hinting because it's the, the rope was made of hair, right? So again and again, he pushes, and finally, she wears him down. And he says, okay. He said, it's, it's my locks. If somebody shaves my, my hair, then I'll be weak as any other man. Why? Because then he will have violated his vow to God. And sure enough, that's what happened. So they were, the Philistines were able to take him. They put out his eyes. They made him serve like a donkey. Okay. He was, uh, he was grinding grain for them. And at the end of his life, they have this big celebration. It says it's, a, it's at a house, but it must be a remarkably big house, more like a palace. And they want to bring Samson out and make fun of him. Okay, because he's harassed them. He's killed hundreds, maybe even thousands of Philistines by himself. And they want to harass him. But see, his dedication to the Lord had already come back. He had repented. And his hair was growing back. So he's blind. They're making fun of him. And he talks to a little boy. And he says, put my hands, because remember, he's blind. He says, put my hands on the pillars that are holding up the house. And so he stands between those two pillars and he pushes and the entire house caves in and it kills him and it kills all of the lords of the Philistines. Now, there's a lot more detail to this story, but I just didn't want to take all the time to to tell it. The point is, Samson was no uh, virtuous man. He was just the man that God chose to fight against the Philistines, Right? But again and again, what we see is the people return and return and return. So I'm not going to have time to cover these other, uh, these other two. Um, actually, that's, uh, there's only one more. Uh, the other one is Jephthah. I will say one thing about Jephthah. Jephthah was the son of a prostitute. And so all of his brothers or half-brothers uh, cast him out of the family. But he was also recognized as a warrior. So when they were being oppressed, this time they're being oppressed by the Ammonites, they called him back. He raises an army and he fights the Ammonites. But what he says before he fights them is he makes a vow to the Lord. Remember the whole thing about the vow in Samson? He makes a vow to the Lord. Here's the vow. He said, if you give me victory in this battle, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house. He had an only child, a daughter. He comes back from victory against the Ammonites, and guess who comes bounding out of the house dancing? His daughter. And so what does he do? He offers her as a sacrifice. I'm telling you, the further along we get in judges, the crazier these things get. 
the weirder these stories get because the people get further and further from the Lord. Very quickly, lessons from Judges. First of all, remember, the people were fully obedient to God under the Joshua generation. Number two, although the Joshua generation obeyed the Lord, they failed to teach their children. Friends, that is exactly what is happening today. We're not teaching our children. I'm not saying you in this room, but we're not passing along the significance of our faith and these stories to our children. Number three, after Joshua and that generation died, the sin cycle began. Let's outline the sin cycle. First, the people turned away from Yahweh and worshiped the false gods of Canaan called the Baals. Second, God removes his protection and hands Israel over to their enemies, right? Third, C, Israel turned to Yahweh and cried out for help because their false gods were not helping them. And then lastly, uh, or second to last, the Lord raises up a judge who delivers the people from oppression. But once they're free, the people return to idolatry. So guys, um, ladies, if you'll put that graphic up there, there's a a graphic that I made that helps you to understand this. So the people are in sin, specifically idolatry. They're oppressed sometimes by people within their borders, sometimes by those outside of their borders. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord delivers them. He raises up a judge and delivers them, but then they return right back to sin again. Um, The Lord never abandoned them but the people became increasingly corrupt over the period of the judges. And this is a period of 400 years. Number five, the providential purpose for God permitting the godless people to remain among Israel was to test each generation. Listen to what it says. Once again, we read this. uh, No, we didn't read this earlier because I didn't get this far down. This is Judges 2, 21 through 23. I, in turn, will no longer drive out from them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not hand them over to Joshua. Listen, I took teenagers to camp for many, many years. Pastor Craig took teenagers to camp for many, many years. And you know what we find? When they get to camp, and it's all about Jesus all the time. And they don't have their mobile devices and they don't have their outside distractions. Suddenly you have all these dedicated teenagers. <laughs> wow. But as soon as you bring them back home, the gods are still in the land. The same temptations are still there. And you find out whether the commitment that they made in camp was real or not. Because when they get back, they're tested. That's you. Most of you in this room are not teenagers. But that's you every time you go out the door. We're living in an antichrist culture, friend. There's constant, constant testing going on. Well, God's providential purpose of that is to purify your heart so that you will make the right choice each and every time. Right? Number six, the people lived however they pleased. This is why it got so bad and continually reaped the consequences of their evil choices. So the refrain that we hear in Judges over and over again, actually, I say over and over again, it's actually two times. It's, this, is, this is stated twice, and this is at the end of the book of Judges. This is uh, 
This is in Judges 17, 6, and also in Judges 21, 25. It said, and in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that not sound like this nation today? Not my president. Oh, I don't care which one it is. We don't recognize any authority over us except our own desire and our own will. We're supposedly saying, if we're Christians, and you're genuinely a Christian, it's not just a name. It means you've said Jesus is Lord and you belong to Jesus. That means he calls the shots. That means he's in authority. And yet people are still doing whatever they please. Everyone does what's right in his or her own eyes. Here's my application, and I'll be done by noon. Although America is not Israel, the Lord established this nation for the purpose of protecting his people today and ensuring that the gospel may be preached to the ends of the earth. Amen? That's what I believe. Like the Joshua generation, the great generation of World War II failed to pass along biblical values to their children. Baby boomers have been like Israel in the period of judges, doing whatever feels good and reaping the consequences, and then their children, and then their grandchildren. And we see each successive generation moves further and further from the Lord because that initial generation did not pass along those biblical values. The nation is purportedly based on Christian values, yes, but you've got to pass those along. It doesn't happen naturally. For a while, throughout the period of America's rise to greatness, uh, as the supreme superpower in the world, um, after World War II, that is, the gospel was widely preached by many, particularly through Billy Graham. How many of you have, have ever heard of Billy Graham? He was a huge figure in the history of the United States in the 20th century. He was uh, a, a counselor to virtually every president all the way up until Obama. Um, he, he preached the gospel. I watched him preach... Uh, the funeral of Richard Nixon. There were five living presidents sitting in front of him as far as these kids right here are from me. And all he did, he didn't preach politics. He didn't preach conservatism, liberalism, Democrat, Republican. He preached the gospel. That's what he did. And people used to know the gospel in this country, but we've moved Far from it. Alongside the freedom to preach the gospel, there arose the abuse of freedom. The sexual revolution of the late 60s has spawned every form of sexual perversity in the 21st century. I won't get into details, but this country is dramatically different in that area than it was in the earlier part of the 20th century. The last deliverance for America, for thinking of us like Israel... And Israel was delivered by these judges again and again. The last deliverance for America came during the Jesus movement of the early 70s. You had these hippies. And they're out there smoking weed. Although we didn't call it weed. We called it pot. Smoking pot. And doing acid. Crazy stuff. Sexual revolution going off the chain. Okay. You look at Woodstock. I mean, you've got basically young 20-somethings cavorting around totally naked, right? All these rock and roll bands, some of them were called acid rock because uh, these folks listened to that band while they dropped acid. All these crazy things are going on, but at the same time, coming out of California was this Jesus movement. 
A lot of it came from Chuck Smith's church, Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. The dude just preached the word all the time. And here are these hippies, and they weren't allowed in anybody else's church because their hair was long and because they wore cut-off shorts. They didn't dress right, and they didn't act right. And Chuck Smith said, no, y'all come in. He made space for them down in the front. That's why I like it when the teenagers are sitting in the front. And that's where they came. And their lives were dramatically changed as the result of that. So there was a deliverance there for a while, but now it's not the young people that are paying attention to the Lord any longer. I don't know who is, to be honest with you. We've fallen far away from that uh, Jesus movement. Young people once fell in love with Jesus. Now you're in love with your image on a phone. The political left seeks to stifle the preaching of the gospel because it teaches people that government is not their savior, but only Jesus is your savior. Amen? The Republicans are not going to save you. The Democrats are not going to save you. America is not going to save you, but Jesus will save you. Amen? We need to understand this. Today, people speak of my truth and turn away from the truth. Half the nation opposes the president, and the same was true with the previous leader. Certainly, everyone does what is right in his own eyes, and there's no authority in America. If you're a believer in Jesus, you cannot live this way. Jesus is Lord. Amen? That president is not the Messiah. The next one coming is not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the only one that can save us. There is one truth. It's the Bible's truth, and it originates from the unchanging God. Judgment is coming upon America. Mark my words. The question is, will you side with Jesus and the truth or the devil and the liars and the woke mob? Change your thinking today, friends. Change your ways. And teach your children the unchanging truth that Jesus saves. Amen.